Well, thank you, choir, and Wesley, and Lavanda for leading us in the worship this morning. If you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, we'll be in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, and we'll be in verses 35 through 51. And you're probably saying, man, Carrie, that's a lot of verses. Yeah, I didn't get the email out until yesterday morning, so when it went out yesterday, you probably saw it then, and you probably saw it the same thing. You say, man, that's a lot of Scripture he's going to go over this morning. And then when I read the Scripture and I, I study the Scripture, I try to come up with the title of the message. And, I've, and I come up with the title of the message of this one is Finding Salvation. And you think, of, well, you might think, what does he mean by finding salvation? And I, I want to share something with you. When we get into the Word this morning, we're going to open it up and look at it, and we're going to see what God wants us to share. But, you know, I said something in announcements about Friend Day about inviting a friend to church. Now, you don't have to wait until December the 10th and Friend Day to invite somebody to church. You ought to invite somebody to church every Sunday, or at least bring them to Jesus. That's what we're going to talk about this morning, is, is, is some of the passage of Scripture that looks like we need to be inviting people to come see Jesus. So let's look at a few things. I want you to work with me, and we're going to lead into a few things and get to that passage. There's only one means to get to salvation. There's only one means of salvation. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. But to get to Jesus, there's other ways, there's different ways to get to Jesus, even though Jesus is the only one who provides salvation. So let's look at a few things, and, and I'm going to be honest with you. Yesterday, I sat in front of the TV, and I watched football like a lot of y'all, didn't you? I watched several different games. I pulled for some teams that won and some that didn't. But I just I watched a lot of football yesterday. And I looked, and, and it's like, for one particular game I was watching, they said 93,000 people were sitting in that stadium. 93,000 people were in that stadium. Imagine if 93,000 people was in church this morning. Huh? Man, I saw it yesterday. And I'm not just talking about one. That was one stadium. And there's, I don't know how many college teams there are in football, but there's a lot of people that attend a college football game on a Saturday and just wonder what it would be like to have that kind of an influx of people in church on Sunday morning. All right, let's look at a few things that are a little closer to home. And I, I took this question in the email sent to you yesterday. What would you do if you were standing downtown and Jesus walked by? What would you do if you're just standing downtown, you know, Cairo or Wherever you're at, you're standing downtown, and Jesus just walks right by in front of you. He walks by. Would you say something like, oh, there's Jesus. I wonder what he's doing in town. Huh? You'd just be thinking, well, there's Jesus. I wonder what he's doing in town. Would you want to go up to him and ask him what he's doing? Would you say, hey, I wouldn't mind talking to Jesus, but, but I've got some places I need to go. I wouldn't mind talking with them, but I got some things that I need to do. Would you want to tell somebody in particular that Jesus was in town? Man, would you pick up that cell phone that you know everybody's got? Call somebody up and say, hey, guess who is in town? Guess who I saw walking down the street this morning in downtown wherever you are? Would you want to tell somebody that he's in town? Would you think to yourself, man, I have been waiting for the opportunity to talk to Jesus for a long time. I've been waiting for a long time to talk to him. I've got so many things that I want to ask him, so many things that I, under, that I don't understand about this heaven thing that, that Brother Kerry's been telling me about. 
I don't understand a lot of the things. I don't understand about all the struggle that's in this world that's going on, all the different issues that I'm having to deal with, all the pain that's going on, all the things that I'm up against. Or would you just say, well, I've got some things that I need to get done this morning, and maybe he'll be here later on when I come back. Maybe he'll be here later on, and when I get through with all my errands, I'll come back and I'll talk to him then. The question this morning, church, is that we all need to consider the answer for ourselves is, what do we do when Jesus is passing by right in front of us? Because he's passing by right in front of us. What are you going to do? What do you do? What is your intention and where is your focus? If you are able, would you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word? We'll be in John chapter 1 starting in verse 35. The word says... The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and noticed him following him, he asked them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, Where are you staying? Come and you'll see, he replied. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. He first found his brother Simon and told him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated as the Christ. And he brought Simon to Jesus. And when Jesus saw him, he said, You are Simon, son of John. You would be called Cephas, which is translated as Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. He found Philip, and he told him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and so did the prophets, and Jesus the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Nathanael asked him. Come and see, Philip answered. Then Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said about him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me, Nathanael asked, before, Jesus, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you, Jesus answered. Rabbi, Nathanael replied, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. Jesus responded to him, do you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Then he said, truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Pray with me, please. Father God, I ask that you bless the reading of your word. God, I ask that you cleanse me of every sin, cleanse me of every impurity. And Father, I ask that you hide your servant behind the cross and allow me to deliver your message to your people. And these things I ask in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. You may be seated. The two disciples that was with John the Baptist that day and they turned and followed Jesus was Andrew and John. Andrew and John. John is a common name, it seems like, but this is John who wrote the Gospel of John. Andrew and John are the two disciples with John the Baptist, and they wrote, John wrote the Gospel. John, God, John was an eyewitness and had an eyewitness account to this encounter, even though it's wrote several years later, even though the, through the power of the Holy Spirit, God inspired him to write it. John was a, an eyewitness account of what took places 
during this particular time. He was there. He was a witness for the whole thing. He had firsthand knowledge of this encounter. Now, I suspect the instant John the Baptist said, hey, look, there's the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John and Andrew had been students of John the Baptist. He had been teaching them about the coming of the Messiah. He told him what he was and what he was going to be. And he says, there's the Lamb of God. I suspect that when he said that, that Andrew and John didn't waste any time approaching him. I suspect that they instantly went on with him. They had been followers of John the Baptist, but the minute he said, there's Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, they immediately went to him. They changed their plans for what they had been doing. They changed their outlook on life and what was going on. They changed their focus from what it had been to the focus of Jesus. And we talked about focus last week. (coughs) Last week... We looked at God's word and saw where a rich man approached Jesus. He was someone who wanted to know more about Jesus. He was someone who wanted to know what Jesus had to offer. He was someone who said, Lord, how can I gain eternal life? What do I need to do to gain eternal life? He was a a seeker. He was a rich man who was a seeker. And I told you, it had nothing to do with the fact that he was rich. It had the fact to do, it had to do with the fact that he had a focus on his material possessions. And that's why he's referred to as the rich man. But he was a, a seeker. In our passage of scripture this morning, Andrew and John approached Jesus seeking something that Jesus had. It's amazing how when people approach Jesus, they're looking for something that Jesus has, isn't it? Because he's got something that we all need. It's amazing how everybody that approached Jesus is looking for something that he had. Just like every single encounter recorded in the Bible, people approaching Jesus, with the exception of the rich man, they all approached Jesus and he looked straight at them. Now, he did this with the rich man. He never keeps his back toward anybody. You approach Jesus, he never has his back to you. He always turns and faces you. When the woman with the issue of blood approached Jesus, she snuck up from behind. She reached up and grabbed the hem of his garment. She said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. She had an issue of blood that had been taking place for many, many years. She wanted to touch Jesus. When she touched Jesus, Jesus said, whoa, who has touched me? And the disciples said, Jesus, people are packed all around you. Man, there's people all in here around you. Everybody's touching. He said, no, 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 no. Somebody has touched me and power has left me. And instantly, Jesus turned around and looked straight at this lady. Man, he turned around and looked at her. He didn't leave his back to her. He turned and looked. He said, woman, your faith has healed you. Your faith has made you clean. Jesus turned to her with all the people that was right there. He turned and faced her. He never keeps his back to anybody who approaches him. He looks straight at you. And then here's the thing. He looks straight into your heart. He sees where you are. He sees where you are in your relationship with him and with the Father. When you approach Jesus, he turns and looks straight at you. He looks straight into your heart. He wants to see where you stand in your relationship. He knows the answer to the question even before you ask. Man, Jesus is omnipotent, right? Got the same characteristics as God. He already knows the answer to the question he's going to ask you. Even though he asked the question, he knows the answer. Why would he ask that question? Because he's asking you a question, he wants you to re-examine yourself. He wants you to think about what's going on and re-examine yourself. He asks it anyway. What are you looking for? What are you after? What do you need? Why are you coming after me? Very simple. Everybody has, he has what we all need. When Jesus asks these questions, it forces the one he's asking to examine their own heart. Man, we look at that heart word comes up every, every Sunday, don't we? 
Because that's where it's at. Man, he wants you to look into your heart. You think about your heart. Think about where your, your focus is. You think about where your focus is. is. Is your focus on making sure that people come to know the Lord? Man, is your focus on the fact that there are so many lost people in this world? And guess what? When Jesus returns, there's going to be a lot of sadness in this world, isn't there? There's going to be a lot of sadness because a lot of people don't know what's about to happen. When Jesus asks these questions, he forces you to look at your own heart. He's asking you to examine your motives and your reasons for approaching him. Jesus looks beyond the surface of a seeker, and he looks straight into the heart. The rich man asked Jesus, Lord, what can I do to gain eternal life? And Jesus simply responded with some instructions. He said, go sell all your possessions, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. The man could not do that. It wasn't that he wanted to sell his possession, give them to the poor, but he wanted to refocus from what he had been focusing on and turn his focus to him. Andrew and John asked Jesus, Lord, where are you staying? When I read that, I went and told Pat, I said, you almost had a little bit of a chuckle with that. You know, you're reading the scripture. You ever laugh when you read the scripture? Y'all don't ever laugh? Where you stay? Huh? All my career of working with the public, and people would say that, where you stay? That's not where you live, where you stay. You ever had that time? Where y'all stay? I looked at it and said, they asked Jesus, where are you staying? Not where do you live, where do you stay? Where are you staying, Jesus? You know, the thing is, I don't know that they really cared where he stayed. Where are you staying is, a, is little to do with where you are, uh, where you're sleeping at night. It has more to do with what are your plans? What is your mission? What can we do to be along with you? How can we come along with you? That's what it means when he says, where are you staying? What's taking place in your life? How can we be a part of it? That's what they were looking for. Why would you think they concerned about where Jesus was staying? I looked at a couple of things. That maybe they felt like maybe Jesus might be too busy to talk to them right then. Maybe they might need to come back later and talk to Jesus later. Or maybe there was just so many people there crowded around. They said, well, if we lose sight of Jesus, how are we going to know how to get up with him again? I mean, John just pointed him out to us. But what if he gets mixed up in the crowd and we can't find him anymore? Maybe they wanted to make sure we know where he's staying so that we know how to get to him. But instead of telling them where he was staying, what did he say? He just simply says, come and follow me. Man, spend the day with me. Here's just getting, we're getting, getting serious now. Come and see. That's a good phrase, three words that Jesus used a lot. Follow me is two he used a lot. Come and see he used a lot. And even Andrew and other disciples would use the same thing. Come and see what we have found. Man, he said, come and see. Spend the day with me. Follow me. Learn from me. Grow in your walk and your relationship with me by spending time with me. You want to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ? You got to spend time with him. You want to grow in your relationship with other people? You got to spend time with them. You got to invest in them. That's the same thing. We got to invest in our time with Jesus Christ. The answer to the question is always the same. When you follow Jesus, your life will change. And it's never the same. What followed this question that Andrew and John had asked Jesus was a day of transformation. It was a day of change for their life. Man, they were significant change. When this day was over, your life is going to be completely different than when it started. Man, you spend a day with me, and I promise you when the sun goes down to see you, your day and your life is going to be completely different than it was when you approached me. And that's the way Jesus is. A day of life-altering change. If you spend one day with me, you'll never be the same. A single day of fellowship with the Lord solidified their hearts and made it a priority in their lives to abide with Jesus. I mean, it became a priority in their life, the number one priority. 
was to spend time with Jesus. And you think about it. When we prioritize things, where do we put Jesus in the priority? Where is he at in our priority of things that we want to make sure that we get done today, tomorrow, Tuesday, and every day going forward? Jesus invited Andrew and John to spend a day with him. Wouldn't it be great to spend a day talking to Jesus? Wouldn't it be great to spend a day talking to him? Well, Carrie, if he was standing right in front of me, yeah, it'd be great just to, to spend some time with him and talk with him. I mean, if he's physically standing in front of me, I'd, I'd want to spend time with him and talk with him. Let me tell you something. You can spend every day talking with Jesus. You can spend every second, every minute, every hour of every day, you can spend it with Jesus because it'll have a significant impact in your life. You'll be changed completely. Andrew and John didn't simply learn what he, where he was staying. They learned a whole lot more. I suspect that Jesus shared a lot of things with them. He, he's a teacher. They knew that. They, they recognized him as teacher. But I'm sure that he invested in them. I'm quite sure that they learned significant more than they could ever have imagined. I suspect Jesus answered all their questions and revealed so much more about the things that he was going to do. The things that they were going to do. They were both so impressed. Now look at this. Here's where it comes to friend day. Let's look at it. They were both so impressed with what Jesus had to offer. The Bible says that they went and found their brothers and they did what? They brought them to him. Their brothers were important to them. They were family members, but they were, they were close. My brothers were close. They wanted to make sure that my brother knows who Jesus is. My, we have found the Messiah. They went and found their brothers. Andrew went and got his brother Simon, and John went and got his brother James. It's worth noting here that Andrew and John trusted Christ because of the preaching of John the Baptist. The preaching brought them to Jesus Christ. They learned about Jesus. They placed their faith and trust in Jesus before they ever saw him because of John the Baptist preaching about him. All right? Faithful preaching about him, which is why they followed him the moment they saw him. The minute they saw him, they already knew who he was because they'd already been prepped on who he was and what he was. Peter and James came to Christ because of the compassionate personal work of their brothers because somebody brought them to Jesus. Their brothers might have been related to them, but anyhow, somebody brought them to Jesus, inviting and encouraging them to come and see Jesus. Later on, Jesus would win Philip personally, and this is an encounter it talks about. And this whole passage of Scripture is so full of, of people coming to know Jesus. I'm going to cover every single one of them this morning. You think, well, I don't know how you can get all of them in there, but we're going to look at every single one of them this morning. Because Jesus just straight out went up to Philip and said, hey, I want you to follow me. I mean, he, he encountered Philip personally, and Philip would witness to Nathaniel and bring him to Jesus. As soon as Philip sought Jesus, as soon as Jesus called Philip, he went out. He said he found Nathaniel and brought him. Each and every time someone came up and encountered Jesus Christ, their life was changed. Let's look at these. Andrew encountered Jesus, and his life was changed. Man, we have found the Messiah. We have found the one Moses has been talking about, all the other prophets. His life was changed. John encountered Jesus, and his life was changed. John wrote five books in the Bible, five books in the New Testament. You tell somebody his life wouldn't change? I mean, he wrote five different books in the New Testament about Jesus Christ and the, and the ministry that Jesus had. That's how his life was changed. When Simon encountered Jesus, not only was his life changed, but his name was changed, wasn't it? Jesus changed his name because he was going to change him from a, a weak fisherman, somebody who was a professional fisherman, but a weak fisherman at that, until somebody who would be a rock that he could, he could count on. When James encountered Jesus, his life was changed. When Philip encountered Jesus, his life was changed. When Nathaniel encountered Jesus, his life was changed. And the list goes 
own and own and own all the way to when Carrie's life encountered Jesus, his life was changed. Amen? Y'all don't know much about that. When your life encountered Jesus, your life was changed. What a tremendous testimony to always bring in people to Jesus Christ. Andrew perhaps never did a better day's work than when he brought Peter to Jesus. And then you look in Acts, Acts 2 verse 41, Peter preached a message, a sermon about repentance, about change. And the Bible says that 3,000 people became believers that day. And you can imagine how many people were in attendance for 3,000 people to become believers. It may have been all of them, I don't know. But one sermon, and you think about who brought Peter to Jesus? Andrew. But you know about that sermon where 3,000 people come to know Jesus. I mean, you think about D.L. Moody. Who brought, who brought D.L. Moody to, to Jesus? Who brought Billy Graham to Jesus? I mean, you know about those people, but the one that brought him was the one that was important because without the one bringing him, he wouldn't have known Jesus. He wouldn't have an encounter with Jesus. Whenever you find Andrew in the gospel, he's bringing somebody to Jesus. Andrew brought, brought his brother Simon Peter to Jesus. Andrew brought the young boy that had the loaves and the fishes to Jesus. He brought the, the Greeks who wanted to know about Jesus. He brought them to Jesus. He was always bringing somebody to Jesus. That's what we need to be, bringing somebody to Jesus. We say, well, Brother Kerry, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a preacher. I can't be bringing people to Jesus because I'm not a preacher. Well, look at this. There's no sermons recorded in the Bible where Andrew ever preached anything, but he certainly preached great sermons by his actions and his personal witness to Jesus. You don't have to be a preacher to bring somebody to Jesus. Amen? You don't have to be a preacher. You have to be a Christian. You have to be a follower of Christ. You have to just say, come and see. We found the Lord. We found the Messiah. We found Jesus. We want you to know more about him. He'll change your life. He'll make, make you into something that you're, you're not, something that he wants you to be. All you've got to do is follow him. Each of these encounters with each of these men is different. God uses various means and various methods to bring sinners to the Savior. There's only one Savior, and there's only one plan of salvation. But there's several different methods that God uses to bring people to the plan of salvation. It might be your brother. It might be a sister. It might be a friend, co-worker, or a complete stranger. But the important thing is come and see and trust Jesus. Personal Lord and Savior is what you want him to be. And then, then once you get through with that, it's not over with. And he wants you to bring people to him. Salvation not only comes through the preaching of God's word, like we found in, in John the Baptist preaching, and the personal involvement with family and friends, but salvation comes through a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. Philip's encounter with Jesus was totally different than Andrew's. Jesus approached Philip without anybody bringing him to him. The scripture says that Jesus found Philip. He said, follow me, and the results were he did. He didn't have to be told twice. He didn't have to be asked twice. It says that he followed Jesus. Instructions to him were simple and very similar to what he says, everything. Follow me, and the Bible says that he did. Now, Jesus offers an invitation to everybody. I want you to follow me. Well, what do I have to do to follow you? Well, you've got to refocus your heart. Man, let me tell you something. Whatever you're focusing on right now, it better be focused on Jesus because he's going to come. The Bible says he's going to return to receive the church to himself. He's going to do that. We don't know when it's coming. It could be today. It could be before the service is over. We don't know. We want to make sure we're prepared and make sure we're ready. <coughs> Y'all with me? Is it hot in here? 
God is not confirmed, concerned or confined to simply bringing people to Jesus on, in a church service on Sunday morning. He's not confined to bringing people to Jesus at some weeknight uh, visitation program or some small group Bible study. Now, he will, but he's not confined to that. He can, he can bring people to Jesus at the football stadium. Let me tell you something. He can do it. All you got to do is be willing to share it. He can bring people to, to Jesus at the baseball field. It doesn't matter as long as you're willing to, to be the witness for him. He's not confined to these areas. If he wants to, God can encounter people personally just like he did Philip when he said, follow me. I saw, and I'm going to share this, Tyler, if that's all right. Tracy was in Athens yesterday. Maybe Tracy's not watching, going to be calling him out. Tracy videoed uh, at the Georgia game a street preacher preaching the gospel. And, and all I could notice in that was people just walking by. I mean, I mean you know, I don't know the, the issue, but I never saw one person stop and listen to his preaching. They were just steady walking by. Should I left that out? Hmm. It hurt my feelings, I'm going to be honest with you, when I saw that. I'm thinking, I know where he stands. I know what he's doing. I know what it's like. And with the exception of the rich man who could not refocus on the heart, the results are always the same. Change. There's nothing more significant in my life than when I found Jesus. Nothing more significant in my life than when I found Jesus. But I'm going to tell you, until I became obedient to what God wanted me to do, I didn't really recognize what change was. I mean, I was changed when I became a believer. But until I got obedient to what God wanted me to do, I didn't really truly understand what change was. When Jesus said, follow me. It's a great privilege to go from being the one who's found and brought to Christ to the one who becomes the finder. I mean, that is such a blessing and it's such a, a great thing to, to be changed from the, from the disciple to the disciple maker, from the one that's found to the one that becomes the finder. There's a real sense of excitement and a sense of overwhelming anticipation when God allows us the privilege of bringing somebody to Jesus. This passage of scripture this morning teaches that salvation is found by seeking the Lord with an honest, open heart. And then by responding to the invitation to come and experience the presence of Jesus Christ, man, come spend a day with me. That's what Christ wants us all to do. Come spend a day with me. Man, learn from me. Grow from me. Grow with me. Grow in a relationship with me. Spend the day with me. The exact moment that we're placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we're saved. We're secured our eternal destination in heaven. And that's what's important. I mean, that's what I tell you. We want to secure our eternal destination in heaven. So no matter what happens on this earth, we're going to spend eternity in heaven. God promises us that one day Jesus will return and receive the church to himself. And as believers, we are secured our eternal destination in heaven. But here's the thing, church. Our work on this earth isn't done. My hope for you this morning is that we'll have a sense of excitement and a sense of urgency that we want to bring people to Jesus. Amen? God loves us, man. God loves us so much. I mean, he, he went through an awful lot just to secure our eternal destination. I mean, he sent Jesus out of, out of heaven. You know, the, Jesus, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit been together since the, before the beginning of time. God knew that this was a messed up world. This thing was full of sin. People are making mistakes and messing things up, coming and going. But he wasn't willing just to sweep us under the rug. I mean, just to kick us to the curb, so to speak. He sent Jesus. He said, hey, I need you to go 
fix this for me. Send Jesus Christ. He loves us so much, he sent Jesus Christ to die for us. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish and should not perish but have eternal life. Ephesians 2, 8. By grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourself. It's a gift of God. Man's a sinner and we need a savior and God sent one for us to save us. Romans 3, 23. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. <clears throat> sin creates a separation between us and man. And we can't get to God because of sin. He can't get to us. So he created a, a solution for the problem. He sent Jesus Christ to this earth to live 33 plus sin, sinless years on his life. He took every step toward the cross. He never deviated from the path. The only time he changed directions was when he had to go see somebody, when he needed to share the gospel with somebody, when he needed to tell somebody or heal somebody or touch somebody. But every step was one step closer to the, to the cross, and he went to the cross for you and I so that we could have salvation and have eternal life. Romans ten thirteen says, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that's one of my favorite verses of Scripture in the Bible because it doesn't matter what I've done, what you've done, what you haven't done, because there's sins of omission just like there's sins of commission. There's a lot of things that you don't do that are just as sinful as the things you do do. And it says, the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. When you call on the name of the Lord, he'll write your name in the Lamb's book of life. When our time on this earth is over with, we're going to spend eternity in one of two places. And eternity is too long to be wrong. You're either going to spend eternity separated from God, or you're going to spend eternity in his presence. And we don't want to make sure that we're in his presence. Maybe today you want to make sure and know without a shadow of a doubt that you're going to spend eternity in the presence of the Father when you leave this, this planet. My, my prayer and desire is that you'll place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Romans 10.9 says this, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And it's just that simple. God didn't make it complicated. He didn't have to make, you don't have to have so many classes you got to go through. You don't have to check off a bunch of boxes. You're going to have to do a bunch of things to get into his favor and his grace. He says all you got to do is confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. I mean, you've got to turn your life over. Now, there is a, a repentance that takes place, just like the, the sermon that, that Peter preached Repentance means change. It means you change from the old ways. You turn away from sin. It doesn't mean you'll never sin again. It means you turn away from sin and you want to go in the direction of, of Jesus Christ. You have made Jesus Christ the focal point of your life from that point on. Not going to be perfect. None of us are. But we will strive to be Christ-like. We want to be like Jesus. Just open up your heart and invite him in. In a moment, we're going to have a hymn of invitation and I'll be down front. And if, if, if you... Have any concern about this Jesus guy that I've been talking about? I certainly would like to share more with you. If you don't know Jesus or you want to make a profession of faith and turn your life over to Jesus, today's a great day to do that. A good day to secure your eternal destination. Maybe, maybe you're looking for a church home, and this is a great place to call home. We certainly would love to get you plugged in here. If this is a place that you feel comfortable at and you want to be part of the fellowship of this church, it'd be a great place to be part of. Maybe there's others. Maybe you want to come to the altar. Maybe you've got something you just want to lay at the feet of Jesus. Man, the altar's always open for you. Our deacons are here willing to pray with you. I'll pray with you. Whatever, whatever the issue is, you can bring it to Jesus right now. Whatever this time is, if we're going to have a, a time of, of invitation where you just you tune everything else out. 
and you just talk to Jesus. You talk to God through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let him, let him talk with you and just spend this time with him. And whatever he directs you to do, that's what you need to do. Father God, I come before you this morning. God, just thanking you for who you are. Thanking you for the power that's in your word. And God, just thank you for the love that's in your word and the fact that you loved each of us so much. Father, that you send your son to this world, to this earth. God, for me and for all mankind. And God, I thank you for that. Father, if there's one person, the sound of my voice, that doesn't know you as personal Lord and Savior, I pray that this day would be the day that they would come to know you and develop a walk with you and begin their fellowship with you. Father, for others in our congregation, I just ask you bless and allow the Holy Spirit to just move amongst us and let us feel your presence. These things I ask in your sons, precious and holy name. Amen. Let's stand, please, and turn to 295.